And I really wanted to empower both churches and the family to be able to have the autonomy to run their academy. So we're here to empower and encourage and equip them on that journey. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, this is episode 335 today. Amazing. 335. (laughs) Who would have thought we would last this long? I know. It's true. You keep saying things like, oh, I'm sure we're going to run out of content. And I keep saying there's no possible way we can run out of content. Well, especially when we have a guest today. But I did want to just before we introduce our guest, I wanted to mention that uh, a year or so ago, we saw a spike in the number of people who were deciding to homeschool. A lot of that had to do with COVID and the, quote, accidental homeschoolers and those that perhaps decided that, yes, they'd like to continue this homeschooling journey because it's actually not as hard as what they thought it might be. And also, perhaps they were more and more concerned about what is creeping into, especially the public school system, but it's not just in public schools. But I wanted to mention that a year or so ago, you had asked us to spend time every 10 episodes on the fifth episode to basically do a Homeschool 101 podcast. So that's what this is. So listeners, if you are interested in learning more about homeschooling, you are already homeschooling and want to know why you should continue doing so, or are maybe a homeschooled student yourself, stay tuned because this episode is for you. And if you have no interest in homeschooling whatsoever, you should keep listening anyway. Oh, well, absolutely, (laughs) because I have no doubt, Andrew, you might tell a joke or two. Well, no, I'm not promising a joke, but (laughs) we have an awesome guest. We do, we do. And actually, I'm not sure I might have met Dr. Lisa Dunn before you, Andrew, because she had asked me to come up to talk to her faculty and staff at William Jessup University to talk about how to recruit homeschoolers to their school, just like I had done for so many years at Biola University. Right. So, well, welcome, Lisa, to our podcast. Thank you. What an honor and a joy to be with you today. So I'm curious, when did you and Andrew first meet and under what circumstances? You are absolutely right, Julie. First, I met you. I read all about the work you were doing down in Southern California when I was living in Northern California. And you and I talked and you agreed that I could fly you up and ask you a million questions. And you really have been, as I I think I saw you at the last, maybe a couple homeschool conventions Mm -hmm. ago and said this, you were a catalyst for change in my life. So I'm so thankful for you. And then Andrew, we had been following his work with IEW and I'm thinking maybe this is 15 years ago, but we had seen that he would come in and do writing seminars. And so our little homeschool academy, we put the word out in Sacramento and kids came from every corner of the city. The Mm -hmm. place was flooded and it was like Andrew was this 
video celebrity. No, it wasn't internet yet, right? It was videos. <laughs> and he had all these videos that I guess he would mail out all over the universe. And kids came and they he was hysterical. He was engaging. And we were just blown away, just instantly just blown away by his talent and his vision for restoring some sanity to the process of education. I love that. And you have now moved to Southern California. You were in Northern California. You have moved to Southern California. You are a professor at the university level, and you were working for San Diego Christian College. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. But then decided that wasn't enough of a vision for you, and you just started your own school. Right. I'd already been, well, I'd already been in education 20 years. So I'd worked at a lot of colleges and had seen, you know, there are colleges that are really trying to do a great job, but they're limited by either the governance, the board, the the faculty driven model. And when it's a big ship, it's hard to steer it quickly in a new direction, even though most educators realize that education is broken from K to college. You know, college, we we see the cumulative effects. It's like if you go to the doctor at age 85 and get a bad report, it's not just what you ate yesterday, right? It's a lifetime of bad habits. And college is really the cumulative assessment of a lifetime of indoctrination, bad habits, bad methodology. And so, you know, you see that at the kind of that tip of the iceberg at, at the college level. And so I knew that education was broken and I had already been running. We had started these homeschool academies like the one Andrew came to speak at way back, whatever, 15 years ago. And he and and so I knew that if we have the right method, which is discourse based, relational rather than lecture driven, and we had the type of students where their parents had been pouring into their lives that we could create a whole new college model built on really homeschool methodology. It kind of built on Oxford tutorial, the origins of that tutorial method and Socratic method. But once I got down to San Diego, I knew the time was right. And so we launched we launched more of the homeschool academies as well as uh, the, the four-year university on the homeschool model. So we've had about almost 20 academies. I've got about seven in the pipeline right now, but 20 exist that are existing or have been launched uh, homeschool academies. And I can explain more about what that is for our listeners if, if that's needed too. Yeah, 20 programs, that is a lot to have got going in a relatively short time. Uh, of course, in part, the growth of homeschooling in general, partly the result of the pandemic year. Uh, but how how do you manage 20 different programs and how are they set up? Because there might be people outside of San Diego. There might be people, say, for example, in Florida or Illinois who would like to do more to serve the families in their communities. And uh, I think what we've seen, of course, is that, you know, the, the newer homeschoolers, the people coming into the homeschool world are not quite the same as the families that were coming in 15 years ago. They are less certain that they want to do this. They are maybe less aware of the history of homeschooling, the various communities, resources. So programs like yours, I think, are just vital to help people find their niche, build community, and thrive to the degree they want to make this their long-term plan for their kids. Absolutely, Andrew. And I think that key word there is community. That's one of the elements we tapped in on early on is that 
well, even the millennial generation, just because of how they were raised in kind of a more of a, a group environment for many of their processing kind of opportunities is that they need community at a different level than Gen Xers, than Boomers Builders. And so our, our homeschool academy model, which now our furthest extended campus right now is uh, that's about to launch is Syracuse, New York. So we're now across the United States, which is really exciting. But we have a plug and play model to come alongside churches and help them become part of the rescue mission. We have so many churches across the nation that are just sitting open all week long. They have a service on Wednesday, services on Sunday, and then the rest of the days, their, their, class, their rooms are open. And so we come in with this plug and play model. We help them establish themselves as a support to homeschooling parents and the laws vary by state, obviously, but in the state of California, we have a great deal of freedom, ironically, in the homeschooling realm. And, you know, in our state, if just 75% of our churches would open their doors to 260 students, we would be able to shut down our dysfunctional public school system immediately. And so there's a lot of power, agency, efficacy in the local church. So that really is what our model and and people can literally just go to cvcu.us as Chula Vista Christian University and click the start an academy tab and it's a, a a completely self-contained entity that becomes theirs. Now when I met you Andrew and you Julie I was doing these as a, I had a nonprofit header Yuchi that we ran everything under but I felt like in the last like Andrew said the model uh, and the the type of homeschooler that we're serving today is different. And I really wanted to empower both churches and the family to be able to have the autonomy to run their academy. So I just helped them get launched. I coached them. Some asked for coaching for, you know, extended coaching. I have one that I've been coaching for a year and a half, uh, but most of them, I just launched them. I'm here to guide them. We have a support network for them. And I really see this as the potential for flipping some of the tragic stats we see in the next generation, you know, highest rate of depression, anxiety, atheism in the history of our country. I mean, it, it's clear as leaders that we need to step up. We need to be agents of change. And this is a way for local churches that are sitting open and for parents to be able to partner together and create that strength, uh, that opportunistic strength that's right there you know, if they would, if they could step into that. So we're here to empower and encourage and equip them on that journey. This is so good. You know, not a day goes by that I don't contemplate the, almost to a point of despair, the consequences of the failure of the institutional system in terms of developing basic competencies, let alone a good general civic base of knowledge. And and I have had that same feeling. You drive by a church in the middle of the week. The parking lots are always totally empty. What, what do you think is the impediment or the greatest objections that you hear from church leadership or from people in a church that would like to get a program going what what are what's preventing them from just doing it? That's such a great question. The first two kind of fears I get from leaders, well, from parents, the first fear I get is I'm not capable, which is a total and complete lie. All the stats, all the experience, your data say completely otherwise, as I'm sure you talk about it all the time uh, on the show. But the for pastors or church leaders, 
Many of them are, uh, first of all, fearful that they might offend someone in their congregation if they talk about an alternative methodology. And when they really start to recognize, whoa, I'm complicit here, if I recognize the problem and I do not step in willingly to become part of the solution, I'm actually, I'm complicit. I I can't really blame anyone else for what's happening in our nation if I'm not willing to step up. Uh, And then the other thing is they worry about what it'll cost them. And I, over, you know, over two decades of, of being an educator and working in developmental education methodology, I've developed this plan that I feel like meets the needs of the current generation. Gen Z's and alphas are not lecture-driven learners. They're, they're, they have had information at their fingertips their whole lives. And that is a, what's called a flattened hierarchical model, which has high rate of parent involvement, which is the key to success, by the way. A number one predictor of socioacademic success is an involved parent. So parents, you're going to increase your child's skill in every arena just by being more involved. Parents ask me, am I going to mess up my kid? No. Is my kid going to be weird? Only if you're weird, Um, you you know, but, but this model is total plug and play and flattened so that it's completely affordable. Churches will not have to put a dime into the, into the model. It's completely self-sustaining. And so we have, we've covered every possible fear. (laughs) We've created community for parents when they're fearful, they can't do it on their own. And we've help pastors and church leaders to be able to use their existing facility to open that up, to be a blessing that will not only, you know, comfort, encourage the community, but I believe turn the tide for the next generation. I would think that this also has a strengthening effect on the churches themselves. You know, if people are, you know, they may or may not be regular churchgoers, they may or may not be at that particular church, but by, you know, going there every week and meeting people and getting very engaged in the importance of education as a community, I should think this would help in general church attendance and support for church outreaches and evangelical energy uh, in general. Wouldn't, do you find that true? Absolutely. We say it is a church growth model. We have events like a semester showcase at the end of at the end of the year and students show everything they've learned and their families come out and the community comes out and it's an opportunity for people who've never been in church or who are maybe not committed to a local church to come and see what's happening in their local community. And I think too what what people are starting to recognize certainly are ones that have been planted in the last two years, the transformation of the culture, because parents are now discipling their kids at a different level. They're reading together. They're seeing growth. They're committed to a level of community that is really unparalleled for somebody. If they're just coming, you know, one day a week on Sunday, you know, their kids see each other maybe once or twice a month, depending on what services they're going to. But when they're having an academy model two days a week, they see each other, then they see each other again on on Sunday. Parents and children have the opportunity for deeper relationships, which is really important. The next generation, no, most of their 65% of their relational time is spent on a screen. So they're, they're lacking as, as you know, many interpersonal skills and nuances because they don't have that face-to-face relationship. So the capacity for social change and influence is so tremendous. The potential for church growth and community influence is so tremendous. So I just see it as such a win-win for churches to step in to the model and be part of the solution. Now, you uh, say plug and play, so that I'm assuming would include kind of a 
organizational structure yes. so people don't have to redesign that wheel. Yes. I would guess curricular guidelines, if not complete curricular packages. How does that work? If I, if I said, yeah, I'd like to approach my pastor at my local church and do this type of thing, what would be the first steps? Absolutely. So yes, you're right. It's hundreds of pages of documentation that I've developed doing this over a couple of decades, and it's completely plug and play. So everything from a handbook of expectations uh, to job descriptions to sample budget, how that works. I build everything out on models of 10. It's very protective. It's protective financially, but it's also protective in an armor bearer sense where the pastors don't have to be involved. They already have jobs at the church. They already have expectations. They don't have to step in and be also the leader of this. So I have a whole org org chart system that's developed out for that course, course descriptions, uh, curricular suggestions. Um, so the first step is typically I'll have a conversation with the, with the leader or the pastor, and then we'll either set up a zoom or an in-person depending on where they are and what they're, what they're looking for to answer their questions, kind of go through what the model looks like. I have some that are, they're already, they have homeschool leaders in their church. They're already, they already understand why the model works, why the why the parent-driven model is effective. And so for them, it's more, here are the documents. I'm here for you if you need anything. Others need a little bit more coaching. So they would maybe be a level two interest. Maybe they want all the documentation, but they also want some coaching or they want me to come out and meet with their parents, do an interest meeting. I was just in Minnesota this weekend and uh, in DC the week before that and sharing about, uh, in Minnesota, I was helping doing a parent interest meeting, get, getting them started for the year. But it just depends on what the need is. Some that already have a lot of experience, it's just, hey, here's a document. You take these hundreds of pages of document, take my name off, put your name on, they're all yours. So when I say plug and play, I literally mean everything you could imagine that you need to make this work. Here you go. Go for wow. it. And that's and again, that's how we're going to take back. If you imagine every state, every state doing that, every large city doing that, and how that I, we feel the culture shifting in San Diego County, we've rescued almost 1400 kids out of the public school system. And our, and our district is dark, friends. It is. There is so much happening in our district in the public schools and the tr and traditional education in general, because it's not just the content. We all know the content that's being peddled, that's being pushed in, in our traditional systems. But the methodology, you know, John Taylor Gatto, one of my favorite books, Dumbing Us Down, he said, government monopoly schools are structurally unreformable. They're doing exactly what they were designed to do. And that's create cogs in a machine, which is when we have this lecture-driven model, this non-relational model, this model that doesn't inspire creativity or curiosity. We literally are. We're silencing the voice of the genius. We're dumbing down a generation. And so the methodology of a parent-directed model where there's the right balance of parent direction and peer support rather than peer-driven interaction where kids are, you know, and their ceiling is so limited. Andrew, you and I have talked about this a lot with the multi-generational piece, multi-grade piece, having multiple grades together where students learn from one another, where their ceiling is raised, their capacity, their idea of what they're capable of is raised. And so all these things, these are just such tremendous benefits outside of what we already know about the successes of the parent-driven model, which scholastically, emotionally, civically, spiritually, there's there's just nothing like this. There's no, there's really no competition in any other model. Nothing else stands out the way that the way that the parent-directed model does. So this is kind of this is not 
really like a co-op where a bunch of parents get together and say, hey, what do you want to teach? And then you throw a schedule together and people sign up or don't. It's much more planned than that. But it's not quite a hybrid school where, okay, we're going to hire teachers and we're going to recruit students and we're going to be a school but not a school. So this really does seem to be a very unique type of model you have. Run us through what's what's your typical class day look like? You, you know, the, you, you mentioned that the kids get together twice a week. So if someone just came to you and said, I'm in, I want to do this, sign me up, tell me what to do, uh, what's that going to look like for them? Well, I think one of the really important things that that we center on is the flexibility for parents. Now, every academy that I set up, they have the freedom to move in whatever direction that that's owned by their church. I'm just here to get them started. And then they're there. I'm here for them, but they, they can make whatever decisions they want. So I have some that, that I have some systems that have added more of a hybrid approach. My recommendation based on all the developmental science, based on educational methodology, based on my experience in the classroom or two decades is not, not more than two days. And the reason I say that is because you lose the parent directed piece. One of the crises that we have in today's generation is a lack of attachment, parental attachment. And we're praying Luke 117 that says the hearts of the fathers and the children will be restored. But you guys know the average parent is getting like the average dad is getting 15 minutes alone with one child. It's a, there's not enough time to create discipleship. And so the more kids are in an institutionalized setting, even if that's a church, if they're there four or five days, it's a private school. They're not getting, it's not a parent directed model. So, so I, I want to be sensitive to that. I know it's great. I'm, I'm happy that kids are getting out of public school. I want them out of public school environments, but I also don't want to create environments that then just look just like the drop-off model. My book, Outsourced, is about parents outsourcing their children to other people instead of discipling their kids themselves. So it's it has to be the right balance of coming alongside. So my recommendation is, again, while churches have the right to modify as they as they see fit, my recommendation is no more than two days. But for parents, we say flexibility. We are here for you. If you just need us to come alongside you for one class, here we are. Like for me, I was not a huge fan of dissecting creatures on my kitchen table. So I was so excited to have the Academy model where nurses who love dissecting things would dissect frogs and an octopus and other creatures on for my kids. That was amazing. I, I was not a fan, so I didn't have to do that. That's great. So it's a partnership, uh, but parents can come in. They could take one class. They could take a day of classes. They could take two days of classes. And our model is parent involvement. So it is more organized. It's a lot of similarities to a co-op. Absolutely. And I love the cooperative model as a as a as someone who's founding these i i think there if if i wanted a little more structure then that's why i'm leaning toward there's a job description people are hired there is a there's a very inexpensive fee for a class but you could take one class and then that fee pays a teacher so there is it's kind of a mix i guess in that regard but there's a little more structure a little more maybe an academic focus i wouldn't say I, I I never wanted to overlook the importance of play-based learning and fun in the environment because that is that's actually neuroscientifically such an important part of how we learn and how we remember information. But that's why everything's built around that. We learn in circles instead of rows. Our coach is a guide on the side, not a sta- sage on the stage. And that's K through college. So we actually set up our classrooms in a circle 
in our CVCU classrooms, it's completely built out as a Socratic model. So it's couches, like little kid couches and little kid conference tables. And we, we really cater to that methodology of learning in circles instead of rows. But, but a, a typical class day for a student who just takes a class might be he does his devotional time at home with his parents. They pray over each other, or maybe they come in for the first period where we're praying over each other and then launching into uh, maybe apologia, astronomy, and they're going to learn about the the universe and how God created the universe. And and then they maybe they'll go into a fun elective class, like a crazy science experiments. Uh, then they'll have lunch together, time for community. But parents are are very much a part of the process. The community is needed, not just for the kids. The community is needed for the parents as well. And so one of the really cool things we're seeing is in the preschool years, we have just a support model, totally parent-directed. And at first when parents came in, which I called the 2020 parents reluctant homeschoolers in my book because they wanted, they knew something was wrong and they wanted to be part, but they were scared. They were, they had been told their whole lives, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not the expert. And so they had bowed to that lie. They didn't know any better. And so when they got in, they they would walk into a classroom and they would put their kids down in the front and they would go to the back of the room. They didn't, they didn't know how to interact in that environment. And so what we see in the preschool is so incredible. We see parents coming in and they, they come in unsure, uncertain. And then within weeks, within weeks, they are leading, they are speaking, they are encouraging one another and encouraging the classroom. And we have 95% parent participation in that. And if you've worked with this demographic, you know, that is incredible. So we're that to me for all the academy systems, I really encourage that, that model, because you're building, you're training up parents and students. So two generations at once are being impacted in, in that model. So Lisa, you mentioned almost in passing, this amazing resource that you wrote called Outsourced. And that Honestly, this is the reason I wanted to invite you to be a part of this Homeschool 101 podcast is because I think every parent who is considering homeschooling or every parent who is homeschooling or every parent who thinks that homeschooling is not a good idea, which basically means every parent in the world, should have this book because there is so much, so much great content in here. And you've got pages and pages at the back of your book of all the references that you consulted. I mean, you, your, your name is Dr. Lisa Dunn for a good reason. You are a researcher. <laughs> and as I was reading through it and finding all the citations, I'm like, hokey smokes, girl. You, I, how do you have even time to open up all these academies? You have been doing <laughs> nothing but research. But I will say, and Andrew, this is just, you know, me you know, kind of a little bit of a braggart here. It has nothing at all to do with me. But I love the fact that you asked Andrew to write this forward because so much of what you're saying right now is exactly what we have talked about over the weeks and months and years on this very on this podcast. Andrew and I definitely speak the same language. He was so gracious. He came and flew out in 2020, I think it was 2020, at one of the first academies of reluctant homeschoolers in San Diego County and just poured his heart out, walked through the classrooms, watched what kids were doing and broke off the the whole mentality that American education have is drive, 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 push your kids until they cry, do five hours of math. He broke that off. And some students 
still to this day, that moment that he stood in the classroom and liberated them from that drive and unleashed in them, unlocked in them creativity. They still to this day and their parents still to this day talk about that moment. And I actually captured a, a picture uh, of that moment uh, for one child. And it's it's just a, a really precious thing. But you're right. We're speaking the same language. And the book Outsourced, is it is written. It's written to parents who are who are standing at that threshold and they they want to embark on the journey. Uh, it's it's a it's definitely research based because I am a researcher. Truth be told, you know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's about the twelve toxic traits of traditional education, how they are affecting again from that cumulative vantage point of the college level, how they how their minds, their hearts, their spirits, what has happened to this generation as a result of sitting in those types of classroom environments, from content to methodology. So. A, a guide, certainly um, a call to awakening, a call to action step, absolutely as well. Yeah, there's too much in the book to discuss in any depth in the short time remaining, but I will. I would like to just read the to- the twelve toxic traits uh, that you uh, elaborate on in chapters five through sixteen. Uh, the first one got me immediately: the making of a snowflake. Because I had read years ago The Coddling of the American Mind by Haight and Lukianoff. Powerful, yes. And um, they address that from really the university level. Here's the culture. Here's the curriculum. Here's the mindset that pretty much any kid going to any school is going to encounter either – they're going to be aware that they're encountering it or it's just going to hit them. And uh, I think your point is this is happening way before they get to college. And this is why, you know, as Julie said, pretty much every parent would benefit from this. Uh, so toxic trait number one, the making of a snowflake. Toxic trait number two, the exponential emotionality, the age of anxiety. And don't we just see that just – it, it seems like it's consciously fostered and festering in, in the minds and hearts of young people. Then you've got toxic trait number three, overexposed and underdeveloped. Number four, generational segregation. And that is just something I am constantly pained by is the fact that we, we don't have integrated communities of grandparents, parents, young adults – Younger adults and children all working together and really it's it's pretty much only the churches where you see communities like that happening. So to to be working directly with the churches in this way, the cult of peer orientation, number five, the suppression of truth, number six, cultivating communism, number seven. Now, you talk to people and, and they look at communism as something – well, that's just long ago and <laughs> far away. Hmm. And uh, I don't know. Have you read Rod Dreher's book, The uh, Live Not By Lies? Yes. Powerful. Intense. Yeah, because if you if you read that book, you cannot deny the fact that it's here and now. And if we don't do something uh, – and, and I know this is what drives you. And you wake up and if you think as fast as you talk, you probably think a lot faster than you talk – and you you act as fast as you talk. You're just. I'm going to share with you my teacher, Dr. Shinichi Suzuki. He had a particular thing that he would say to us: the greatness of a man 
is his speed, right?、Mm-hmm. And the idea is not not to act without thinking, but to act upon an idea without procrastination, without worry, without fear, without feeling like you can't do anything until dot dot dot. You are a person, I think, who illustrates that. So precisely to see what you've accomplished in such a relatively limited amount of time is just so inspiring. I, I want to finish the twelve because everybody's going to ask number eight: the death of discipline. And the way you define discipline isn't you know sit down, be quiet, speak when you have permission. It's it's an entirely different psycho spiritual way of being. Uh, and then number nine, embedded evolution, radical ra- racism. We hear more and more about that every day. Number ten, desensitized and devalued. And I think you know Jordan Peterson really has struck a chord with that, particularly with young men, and the、mm-hmm. way society is devaluing、uh, young men. And it's yes, kind of a, a perverted offshoot of. Feminism, in a way, yes. But、uh, you know, he he really resonates with people who know they are not valueless, but the world wants to put them in that category.、Mm. Number eleven, manipulated mindsets. Number twelve, I think my favorite was methodological madness. And <laughs>、uh, and then you you talk about the escape from Egypt and looking allegorically there. So、uh, the book is outsourced. Why America's kids need an education revolution, and you are not the only, but certainly one of the most powerful and eloquent speakers into this disordered and dysfunctional system today. And you know, I always like to mention because we do have some teachers that listen to our podcast. Most school teachers I meet, and I'm sure you've found this to be true. Are really good people who really love their right. kids, and、right. they're there on the front lines, knowing that they're in this handicapping, handcuffing, dysfunctional、yes. world. But they choose to stay there because they love the children and they believe they can help make a difference. So、right. I think it's very important we don't. Criticize all the people who work in the schools, but the ones I meet are the ones who realize: yes, this system is not going to change. It is very dysfunctional. Some of them even will say to me, "I don't know how I'm going to last too long here, but I'm I'm called to stay." Well, and、but、they I, also are very interested in getting these children's parents involved, but the parents have. Outsourced, right? They've educated, right?、Yep. and so、right. so. Let's、uh, see if we can't、uh, drive some traffic to where can people pick up your book, Outsourced. Thank you for all your kind words. That was so that was so thoughtful and so sweet, Andrew.、Uh, Outsourcethebook.com is、uh, for the book. If you go to the CVCU.us website, that's Chula Vista Christian University, and click the President's page, my books and other podcasts and other resources are there as well. Or you can click the Start an Academy tab at CVCU.us and become part of the solution. Well, we will definitely include all of these links in our show notes. And there's so much more.、Um, some someday again, we should really focus on what you're doing at the college level because、mm-hmm. that is so much a challenge for parents. Just the the paying a huge amount of money 
for something that's so ineffective and potentially damaging. And, and so much a, remediation has to happen at the college yeah. level because the kids did not get it in their previous That's years. Right. Yeah. And, and That's what right. are you doing there? So um, the good news is I may have a need to uh, travel to the San Diego area again Hooray. before the end of this year. So we'll be in touch about that and maybe we can organize a couple events. And yes. I'd sure love to go back to that uh, one program that I visited when I was there last time and uh, see the kids a few years older yes. and see how you're doing, sit in again on a CVCU class. That was a, a real delight for me. So That would be our great honor. And we are still accepting students for fall. CVCU.us, we're a mentor-driven, faith-based, debt-free model of higher education. And it's, this is in person. This is not a an online thing. This in is... person. We do have pods at other academy campuses where groups can join us. So you can learn more about that. So we've built that out because we know not everybody, for some reason, wants to move to San Diego. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's super. Well, keep us posted on all that you're doing. And uh, I would encourage our listeners to get this book. It is definitely one of the best books on the current situation of education in America and why we absolutely, every one of us, whether we have kids, grandkids, never had kids, um, love the whole subject of education or are fearful of even thinking about it, everyone would benefit from uh, reading your book. And I think the biggest benefit is it will inspire them to take action. Well, thank you, Dr. Lisa. It was a pleasure to have you on our podcast. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Just recently, you and I both spoke at the Chia Convention in Southern California. So hopefully we can do it again. Yes. What a joy and honor to be with you. Thank you for the tremendous work you're doing. I didn't even get to plug what you're, the work you're doing, but we are IEW supporters all the way. Fits completely perfectly with our mentor-driven model. And we just love the work that you're doing. Thank you for sewing into this. Even before there was a whole surge of interest. You were sowing, sowing diligently. So thank you so much for your tremendous work in this field. Well, you go have a fantastic rest of your day, week, month until we talk again. God bless you. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.